Welcome to Tauri's Community Church. We hope this talk helps you in figuring it out because we believe that when people discover truth and love, they are able to face life in a different kind of way and come alive. If this talk is relevant for you and you wish to discover more, please head over to tauraisecommunitychurch.com.au forward slash services. And with that, we hope you enjoy today's talk. Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see you all. We're continuing on our series. Who enjoyed last week's message that Sharon gave about um, Jesus? How great was that, hey? Yeah, so good. So this morning's a little bit different. I'm going to try to do my part as quickly as possible <laughs> because Sharon's going to wrap up the second half of the message. We're kind of like tag-teaming it a little bit, which would be really great. But it's great to see you all. It's really great to see you all this morning. So we're going to... Oh, thank you, Stephen. Stephen went to Mamma Mia last night, and he had a little bit of a sing-along at the Princess Theatre. So uh, I can only imagine how great that would have been to be there with you, Stephen. All right, enough sidetracking with Stephen. Let's get back to it. Got to focus, Stephen. All right, we're going to start with a scripture here. So Luke, oh, um, could we please have the slide? So we're reading from John. So if you've got your Bibles there, feel free to turn to John. We're going to read this, and then um, we'll discuss it. All right, I can't read that back screen, so I'm going to have to turn my back on you all. I'm sorry. Very truly I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, Who is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? The next one. Thank you. And Jesus answered him, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. In other words, he's, it's himself. <laughs> it's a long way to say this is me. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. So good. A bit confusing, but so good. Luke, can we have that first slide up once again? I just want to read out the first statement that was made there, because that's the focus of our message today. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. So here we've got some of the final words that Jesus gave, and it's kind of a little bit abstract, But it was so important and so critical to John, who Jesus is speaking to, and who's writing this gospel, who's writing this story about Jesus, was so important and so significant to John that he felt it was necessary to take up volume on the manuscript by writing down these words. And what Jesus is getting at in this statement to John is he's saying, there's still another stage for you to go on your spiritual journey of apprenticeship with me. Jesus is saying to John, there's still something more your, uh, about your spiritual formation that is going to happen. See, Jesus is saying the first half of your life is going to look different to your second half. In the second half of your life, you're going to um, go where you don't want to go and you're going to do the things that you don't necessarily want to do and someone else is going to come and, walk, come and dress you. In other words, he's saying it's going to look very, very, very different to that first half of your life. You'll stretch out your hands 
that's um, what Jesus is saying there. He's pointing to the fact that um, Peter is going to die a death much like his rabbi, much like Jesus. He's going to stretch out his hands and be nailed to a cross. He's saying, the second half of your life is always going to be taking you back towards the cross and where you're going to be led where you do not want to go. (laughs) Jesus is sort of indicating, as you go later on into your life, you're going to understand and you're going to be taken to places that you don't want to go and that's a part of your spiritual formation. So this is what we're talking about this morning. Very briefly, we're, going to be, we're talking about how there's a difference between the first half of your life and the second half of your life. So a little bit of context and a little bit of reason why we're talking about this. Let's just scan back a little bit first and then it'll all make a lot more sense. So last week Sharon talked about how our decision to follow Jesus is like an apprenticeship. It's like doing an apprenticeship to a master that we're supposed to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus and do the things that Jesus did. And so we're on this constant journey of doing that, but sometimes it feels like we can get a little bit stuck. (laughs) Whether we're at the start or in the middle or at the end, sometimes it feels like we get very, very, very stuck. And one of the things that we don't necessarily always understand very well is where we're at in the spiritual journey. We don't necessarily understand what stage of the apprenticeship that we're in. We don't necessarily understand what stage of life or what the season of life might be and what the different challenges and obstructions that might be before us are. So today and next week and the week after, we're actually talking about naming your stage of the apprenticeship. We're actually combining some of the things that are in the Gospels and throughout Scripture about the different stages of life along with some of the great wisdom that was written down by some of the ancients of our faith along with some of the different modern sciences as well. And so we're discussing with you guys something called stage theory. So we'd like to be able to help you all understand where you are at in your spiritual journey and so that you might know what the invitations specific to you in this season are, but also what some of the temptations and what some of the dangers might be. And the great news about this is that it's relevant for everybody. It doesn't matter if you're of faith or not of faith, so maybe you're here this morning and you're not of faith, but you're sort of just trying to figure it all out and trying to work it out. This is equally applicable to you because it's about maturity. So there's just as much that you can take from this morning as someone that's been following Jesus for 50 years and is not sure what the next 10 years might look like. So that's the great thing about this morning. So I might just quickly pray before we go any further, okay? Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much for this morning. I just pray that we might all um, come to a place where we feel safe enough to acknowledge where we're at with the seasons of life, the pressures of life, the ups and downs of life, the mountains and valleys of life, that this morning we might all have a little bit more of an answer so we might be able to be filled with a little bit more love and truth. I pray that um, this morning the words might be really clear to us that we might understand what it is that you're trying to communicate to us. And I just pray that we might have a really blessed morning. And Jesus said, absolutely. All right. So the first thing that's the, the easiest way to explain, the easiest model to use to explain the different seasons of life and the different stages of your apprenticeship is something called first half and second half spirituality. First half, second half life. It's essentially what is up here when you're young and when you're old. When you were young and when you were old, that's how Jesus would describe it. Uh, David Brooks wrote an awesome book. What he would use to describe is he called it first half life, second half life, first mountain, second mountain. And our purpose of, the, of it is to climb that mountain. Rollheiser, a great theologian, he would talk about it as being essential discipleship, this first half of life, essential discipleship. And he'd talk about how the point of the first half of life is simply to try and get your life together. And that's the part that I'm going to be talking about this morning, the first half of life. And then Shaz is going to come up and talk to you guys about the second half of life. 
First mountain, second mountain. First half, second half. Getting your life together versus giving it away. Right? So it all starts like this. It all starts from the very moment that you were born. From the moment that you are the smallest little creation, you're on this first half of life where the purpose of your journey is to get your life together. And when we're in childhood, it's a relatively peaceful journey. It's a relatively easy journey. It's not really a lot of disruption that's happening to us, especially if we grow up in a a safe and a loving home environment. Because what that journey looks like, it just looks like trying to get your life together. It's answering those biggest questions of life. Like, does somebody love me? Am I any good? Where do I belong? How do I connect with other people? And answering these sorts of questions is that part of getting your life together. And it's fairly simple and it's fairly peaceful. It's fairly tranquil as you're a child. Unless, of course, you grew up in a family with trauma and you grew up in a, with a family of dysfunction, like what many of our youth in our youth program do. And they're not able to answer those life questions quite so easily as they enter into the next season of life with a bit of a limp. And we see this all the time. We see it with the dysfunctional behavioural patterns. We see it with the social immaturity, the emotional immaturity, the mental hurdles that they've got to overcome. And so that's a really great lesson to stop and pause upon because if we don't answer the the questions that are specific to the season of life that we're in, what happens is that when we enter into the next season of life, we enter handicapped because we haven't answered the questions that were relevant for us in that first stage. And we see this all the time with some of the broken young people that are in our programs. But we also see it in the room around us. We might even see it inside of ourselves. Some of the trauma that's happened at different points in our life have stopped us from being able to mature and grow and form into the disciple of Jesus. Coming back to our normal development pathway, though, I suppose, in this first half of life, it's happening fairly peaceful, fairly tranquilly, and then all of a sudden, everything changes. Something suddenly and violently changes. It's called puberty. <laughs> it, might be all, it might be in a single summer, something like this. It's almost like as if the child has been possessed and a, a new energy arose from within them and created something new, and it's like, where did that child go? And society has sold us short in how we understand this moment. Society has sold us so short because we think of puberty as simply just the hormones that happen, the sexual energy that happens that drives us towards, well, sex. (laughs) But it's so much more than that. And Christian Christian theology teaches us that it's so much more than that. Christian theology teaches us that sexuality, that the sexual drive is more than for just sex, but rather it's for a, a deep hunger, a deep desire for consumption, It's for creativity. It's to go out into the world to make something of it, to add your story to the human story of life, to go out and taste everything, to be everything, to do everything. In other words, to make love with the entire world. That is the desire and the hunger that comes with that sexual drive, that sexuality that happens in that first half of life around puberty. It drives us out, it pushes us out. Whereas once we stood behind our mum and dad's legs when a stranger sort of approached us out of fear and timidness, After puberty, we sort of push away and we drive ourselves away because we want to flex our independence and we want to flex our will and we want to go out into the world and make ourselves known, right? And this energy is good. It's a good thing. It's part of our normal natural formation, whether you're of faith or not of faith. It's part of maturing. It's part of our discipleship process. And it's a good thing, but it drives us away and it drives us on a challenge to go seeking for meaning, We go out and we go seeking in the world, we go seeking for friendships, seeking for relationships, for meaning, for purpose, for an occupation. We go seeking and searching. We go searching for significance, searching for answers. 
We go searching for a new home, in other words. We go searching and searching. And this is part of our normal and natural formation. Biblical writers might talk about this as being the journey of the prodigal son, of being driven away from home, as the, the energy and the fire of youth drives us towards how do we outlet that with money and power and sex and significance and relationships and influence. The mystics would call this the Odyssey years. Sykes talk about it as well. Anthropologists would talk about it as being the, the journey of leaving home and trying to find a new home. This is the first half of life. This is the first mountain that we scale as we get pushed out into the world and we want to achieve and we want to see and we want to taste and we want to be everything and do everything and enjoy everything. This is part of the first stage of life and this is healthy. It's healthy. But there are obviously good ways to go about and bad ways to go about, but it's important that we understand where this, how this fits with our relationship with God, of course, with our apprenticeship towards Jesus. And so we go searching and we go seeking for a new home. And we taste our first bit of success as we go out into the world. And this is really healthy for us because this helps us to form our identity, it helps us form our ego because we want to achieve things. Right? We've got ambitions for our career, we've got am ambitions for our finances, we've got ambitions for our relationships. And so we taste a little bit of success and that is a good thing because it helps us form our ego because without having achieved something, without forming that sense of identity, when I say ego, I'm not talking about pride today, I'm talking about that um, articulation of who we are. By having that ego, it's only for having that ego that we can then give it away. When Jesus says that you must give yourself away, how can you give yourself away if first you don't have yourself? And so this sexual energy that drives us and pushes us out into the world enables us to taste success and to achieve things which helps us to form our own identity. It helps us to be obedient to things like the parable of the talents, right? Where you have to use and prove faithful with what's been given to you. This is the challenge of the first half of life. So young people, this is the challenge of your first half of life to go out and to achieve in the world, to be formed in the world, to go out and to be driven from home, be driven from your parents as you search for a new home. Right? This is the challenge of the first half of life. It's called essential discipleship, the, the act of getting your life together. It's also really important because it helps us to differentiate ourselves. It's that Genesis 2 principle of um, differentiating ourselves from everything that's been put upon us. It's that act of leaving home. It's the act of sorting through what is actually supposed to stay on me and to be fitted on me with what's been handed down to me from my parents and from my family and from my community and from all the rest of it. And so again, it's really healthy. It's this differentiation, it's this independence, it's this success. It's all part of this essential discipleship journey of getting our lives together. But it sort of has to culminate at a certain point. As we climb this mountain, it has to, to, to culminate in something and, and it, it does, and David Brooks talks about how it culminates in us constructing a new home for ourselves, a new home with, based upon the pillars of commitment. So as a young person, it has to arrive at a place where we choose to commit ourselves to something. And David Brooks talks about it being in these four major domains. We have to resolve the tension of these four major domains, otherwise we will never pass into maturity. And these four domains that he talks about as part of our journey of essential discipleship, the first one is that of love, it's of marriage, it's of a relationship. 
if we don't learn to do a healthy relationship, a healthy sustaining relationship, or, or I know there's a lot of singles in the room, so I'm not trying to exclude you either. It's about resolving that tension and answering that question that season of life, of being able to do a healthy, sustaining relationships around us. The second one is of, of occupation, of purpose and direction and commitment, of actually having an impact. The third one is of aligning our intellectual beliefs, our intellectual thoughts with a philosophy, with a faith system. And if we don't manage to do these different types of things, what happens is that we hop off of the maturity journey and we start just bouncing around. So, for instance, if I don't align my intellectual beliefs with something, with a faith system, with a philosophy, whether I'm of faith or not of faith, if I don't find something which answers the biggest questions I have in life, I end up very angry. If I don't resolve how to do healthy relationships with people around me, I end up very angry. If I don't figure out how to do this thing called purpose and career or, or vocation, whatever that might look like, I end up very angry and very disgruntled. And then the fourth commitment that David Brooks talks about is belonging to a community, belonging to a wider family than just my own. And again, if at any stage in this journey, young people, this is in particularly important for you, but important for all of us in the room, if I don't come to a stage where I'm able to answer these four commitments of life, I, I'm never able to find myself a new home. So whereas at puberty I left my home, I was driven out into the world in search of a new home, as I was searching and searching, all of a sudden I became aware that I was aching for something, I was longing for something that I'd already had, but it seemed to have lost, and that was a home. And that's only ever formed again through making these commitments in life, to, especially in these four main domains. For most of us, for most people in, the, in society, we sort of climb this first mountain of life. We climb this first half of life. We, we finish this process of essential discipleship somewhere between the age of 30 and 50. That's for most people. Most people sort of tend to be able to figure it out, whether they're of faith or not of faith, between the ages of 30 and 50. Some people figure it out earlier than that, and we call them an old soul. Other people figure it out later on in life than that, We've got other types of words for them. <laughs> and then other people, they just never figure it out. They just bounce around. They have the baggage. They have the pain. They don't have the maturity to be able to resolve the tension of those four questions. And just like the young person that is unable to answer the question of, am I loved and how do I do healthy relationship with others and do I belong here? Just how that young, like how that young person then can't engage properly with relationships and with social circumstances later on in life until they're able to resolve those questions. The same thing happens for us in our 20s and 30s and 40s. If we cannot resolve the tension of these four main questions of essential discipleship, of getting our life together, of climbing the mountain of the first half of life, then we remain immature and it takes us down this bitter road, this resentful road towards becoming an old fool. <laughs> which is not what we'd like. Thomas Merton talks about how when we reach the pinnacle of this first mountain of life, this first half of spirituality, he talks about how it's like we've climbed this ladder of success, we've climbed this ladder, we've reached the top, we've reached the pinnacle, we've completed this first half of spirituality, this first half of life, when you were young, as Jesus would say. So we've climbed this ladder of success only to realise that the ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. 
And that's when we come into the, if we use the imagery of mountains, where we come into a valley. This valley is a crisis of limitations. It's a, some people would call it the midlife crisis, others would call it the mid, midlife passage. But it's a natural part of our formation, of our spiritual formation of following Jesus. So, for each of you here in the room today, I know this is a little bit abstract and it's a little bit meta, but the point of it is, is to introduce this theory to you because over the next couple of weeks we're going to continue to dive deeper into it and to talk about the different invitations and the different dangers of the different stages of life. But I want you to, this morning, as Sharon picks up the message in a minute, to talk about the second half of life. I want you to take a moment to contemplate yourself. I want you to think and consider where you might be at, where your loved ones might be at, and what Jesus might be calling to you for the next stage of life. Shaz, do you want to come on up here? Sure. Did I miss anything with the first no, half of life? No, you did really good. I think most on. of the disciples were in their first half of life, don't you reckon? 100%. Absolutely. I when think he called if, them and then he, the invitation was to go deeper. I think if this verse here really speaks to that because if Jesus wasn't saying this stuff about the second half of life, about how you'll go where you don't want to go and people will dress you, I think that's yeah. hinting at, oh, John, by the way, mate, you're still first half of life. Yeah, yeah. You're still trying to get your life together. Yeah. You want a smarty? Yeah, I love the smarty. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> All right, so the valley that, um, that John has just referred to begins with tiredness. <laughs> you wake up one morning and you realise that you're fatigued. And um, where once upon a time you had all this energy that you just wanted to get rid of and it was hard to sit still and to contain and you had all these ideas and you just had all this energy that you wanted to throw out. One morning you wake up and you realise that you're very, very tired. And that fatigue, that tiredness, is actually a signal, a symbol, that you're actually spiritually maturing. Now our culture tells you something very different. Churches tell you something very different. Um, Instagram, social media, because they only ever deal with the first half of life, not the second half of life, they, will, they won't tell you that, that that's... Um, a signal of spiritual maturity. But the reason that you're spiritually tired is because you've already made commitments. So you might be married. You might have three kids, or in John and Wendy's case, seven. Um, you might beginning, be beginning to get in-laws. Um, you might be getting to have grandbabies. John and Wendy's case, there'll be lots of grandbabies. You've got uh, friendship circles. You've got long working careers with lots of people. So there's lots of people in your life. You've been uh, maybe part of a community, whether it's part of the soccer group, whether it's part of church. So you've got lots of relationships that are in there. Then you've got your own parents and your aunts and your uncles and your cousins. And I don't know, some of you are just good people. So, you know, you just pick up strays. So, you know, there's a lot of people going on in your life. You're kind of pouring your life out into a lot of people and you're tired because you're actually loving a lot. You think about it, in, in your middle life, who is it that's looking after the, the parents who are in their 80s and 90s? Who's looking after the in-laws and the grandchildren? Who's the ones that often after, say, for example, a church event here, who are the ones that really stay back behind and take the rubbish out, pack the chairs, do the dishes? 
Who are the ones that predominantly do the pastoral care, the phone call, how you're going, the visitation, the meals? It's often the people in the middle life, mid part of life, because somewhere along the line you transferred, you went down into the valley and you did some of that hard work that happens in that valley and all of a sudden you've got all these people that you're pouring your life out to and you're loving. In, I loved um, a passage in Mark where um, it talked where Jesus um, has sent his disciples out. So they're in the first half of life. He sent the disciples out and, uh, you know, they go out to different villages and they're preaching and they're healing and they're prophesying and they're having an incredible success. And then they come back and I'm sure on their way back, they're kind of going, oh, you know, Jesus is going to have this strategy meeting and we're going to figure out how we can take the next village and the one after that and the one after that and how we can grow this into a great big movement and oh, it's going to be so exciting when we get back. And... So they're on their way back and at the same time there's the news that John the Baptist has been beheaded. So they come back to Jesus, here he is discipling, apprenticing, leading and then on the other hand he's dealing with the grief of his cousin John the Baptist and all the grief and the sadness that goes with that. And so they come back and then when they're there and if we pull the scripture up on, on the slide that would be great there. You can see there the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourself to a quiet, quiet place and get some rest. So here Jesus is he's pouring his life out and then he kind of goes, I need to rest. I'm tired, I'm fatigued, I'm pouring out, I'm loving. And then he says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. So here he is and he's tired, he's looking forward, slow to rest, to wind down. But many who saw them leaving recognised them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. See, in our culture, our culture would have said, I, I'm entitled to my holiday, to my time out, too bad, you've got needs, you know, you, you, you'll have to figure out something else. But somebody who's mature in Christ goes, Aunt Ethel's got a cold, Grandma Nanny over there, she's suffering from pneumonia, I've got to drop off a meal, my grandkid's sick, my daughter-in-law's not doing too well, uh, Betty in church needs something. And this is what happens in this middle-aged part of our life. Our world becomes very centred around how can I love, how can I give my life away to other people. But this story doesn't stop there. It gets even worse for poor old Jesus. So here he is. He's here and he, he's um, here ministering to all these people. He feeds 5,000 people. And then look at this one. He says, immediately, so this is straight after he's fed the 5,000, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. Can you see? Here he is. He's poured his life out all day. He's served, he's preached, he's healed, he's done miracles. And yet here he is now. He's loving his disciples. He sees what his disciples need and he ministers to his disciples by cleaning up. Think about it. Who are the people that often clean up? It's not often the teenagers. It's your middle-aged middle people that do the clean-up. And so one of the signs of spiritual maturity in this second half of life is, is that you feel fatigued 
and you feel emotionally drained and you feel tired because you are loving, you are giving your life away. It's no longer about success. It's no longer about that brand. It's no longer about the size of a church. It's no longer how much money you've got coming in. It's no longer about any of that. It's simply who has a need and how can I serve you? How can I love you? And if that's not happening in your middle age, then you are not spiritually maturing and forming and you need to grow up. The second thing that happens in this second stage of life is is that you have to deal with your disappointments. You know, by the time you get to, oh, I don't know, 30s, 40s, you've taken a fair few hits. You know, there's been some relationships that haven't worked out. There's been some work moves that haven't worked out. There's been disappointments. There's been struggles. There's woundedness. There's brokenness. Um, there's just disappointment. And in that valley, in that valley between the first half and the second half, you have to come to terms with the disappointment of life with the hand that life has dealt you, with the appointment of God over your life. It's deep work, this one. It's hard work, this one. It's painful work, this one. And in churches, we often don't want to deal with it. We don't want to, we just want to dismiss somebody when they're having a dark night of the soul, when they're really wrestling with their disappointment with God. We want to dismiss them and say, you're tired, go and have a rest. When there's deep soul questions that are being asked, and this is where the gold is. This is where we find the gold. This is where the people who end up being uh, what I call red wine old people, this is where they're formed. This is the richness. This is the, this is the men and women who you want to go and sit with and you want them to pray for you because you know that they've wrestled with God and they've got something deep to give you. There's an old monk and a young monk comes to the old monk and he says to the old monk, he says, do you still wrestle with, with the devil? And the old monk looks at him and he says to him, son, he says, I'm very old now and the devil's very old too. He doesn't have the strength to wrestle with me anymore. He says, my wrestle now is with God. And the young monk says, what do you mean? You mean to wrestle with God and win? And the old monk says, no, I hope to wrestle with God and lose. You see, there's a wrestle that goes with God where we have to come to terms with the appointment of our life. King David wanted to build the temple. He so wanted to build the temple. And God said to him, it's not your job, that's, just job, that's Solomon's job. I can imagine the disappointment. He had the skill, he had the wisdom, he had the contacts, he had the partnership, he had everything. He knew how to do it and God said no. Think about Moses on top of the mountain looking into um, the promised land and God says you're not allowed to go in. It's not yours. Joshua and Caleb will lead, but it's not yours. This is what he's worked for all his life. This was his dream and he didn't get to get there. For those of you in second half, what's the dream? I've, I've got dreams that I've sacrificed, that I've had to let go. 
What's your stuff that you thought God might have given you but he hasn't? And you have to come to terms with that disappointment, with the appointment of God on your life. You see, it's in this place of going deep with the disappointments in our life that we actually learn what life's all about. It's just about love. It's just about pouring out. And there's this shift that happens as you come to terms with the disappointments. There's, a, there's something deeper that happens in our soul that, that transforms us where we, we, we realise, I suppose, the important things of life. But it's a difficult journey. It's not like the first half of your life, you see the goal there, I'm going to make that business, I'm going to get that career, I'm going to get that degree, I'm going to get that wife, I'm going to get that husband, I'm going to have that kid, I'm going to get that house. It's a straight pathway. This pathway ebbs and flows and it can take 10, 20, 30 years of working it through with you know, different rests and breaks and knowledge and understanding. But it's a hard road. But on the other side is freedom. On the other side is this amazing love that you have to give. On the other side is wisdom that didn't come via books, it came through the wrestle with God. There's a contentment with life. There's a joy. There's a way in which you can hold joy and suffering together. Hope and peace together. It's an amazing place to get to, but very few of us get there. But it's an invitation that Jesus gives us over and over and over again. We're going to finish here. Next week we're going to look at what are the things that take you out in the first half of life and what are the things that stop you from going through the valley into um, maturity so that then you can come out on the other side like a good red wine instead of a vinegar. You know, there's a lot of old people that are vinegars, aren't there? We want to be great red wine. Um, so next week we're going to look at what takes us out on that. But what we're going to do now is we're actually going to finish with a, a, a prayer and it's a prayer that has movements and um, it is something that I'm going to get you to close your eyes to. And there are hand gestures that you can do. So some of them are holding out your hand like this, like this and like this. And part of the, the thing about learning to um, pray in different ways is, is that we invite God into different spaces and sometimes it can be quite interesting what God actually reveals in these spaces. So if you can just maybe get settled, um, get comfortable. If you want to lie on the floor, you can lie on the floor. I can't guarantee how clean the floor is. I know it's been vacuumed, but a lot of people get to walk on this floor. Close your eyes. This is part of us learning to be with God, to be quiet. Our world is noisy. Our world has a lot to say. But we want to hear from the Spirit of God. And so I just invite you just to follow this beautiful meditation. Thanks, guys. Some of you, that was the longest you've ever prayed in your life. <laughs> and I hope you've 
um, experience something of God in that, in that process. It's important for us to constantly be in this kind of real relationship with God because the ultimate goal that God has for us is this, that you become like Jesus. You become love. Whether you're in the first half or the second half, there's always stuff that we need to let go of and then there's stuff we have to receive. And it's this movement, this giving and receiving which is where we become love. So next week we're going to come back and we're going to look at first half, second half and we're going to look at what are some of the things that can take you out and stop that uh, maturing that happens. And if anybody wants a smarty, even though I've touched them, you're more than welcome to come and have a smarty. All right, let me just pray one final time and then we can go. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this morning. Thank you for the privilege of being able to just sit underneath your love and your blessing, whether we're in first half or second half. Father, may our heart just be to do whatever season we're in to the best that we possibly can. I pray for authenticity. I pray for transparency. I pray for wholeness. Father God, as we go on this journey over the next couple of weeks with one another that, you know, we might have some aha moments and go, oh, I need to let go of that. I need to repent of that. I need to receive that from you. I've been resisting you giving me that gift for so long. I need to actually receive it, whatever it is. But Father, I just pray for authenticity and transparency in this journey with you. And everybody said, Amen. Have a great week, everybody. Enjoy, and the Smarties are here. Thank you so much for joining us. We really hope you enjoyed this talk. We've created a free resource for this series, which is available for you over at towerracecommunitychurch.com.au forward slash services. You'll find links in the description. We are praying for you. Have a great week.